Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everyone this morning. I hope you're having a great morning. And even if you haven't had a great morning up till now, I hope we can turn the corner together. How about that? Does that sound good? It is. Hey, we're excited about that. It is good to be together. And I'm really glad to get the chance to share God's word with you this morning. As you heard Amy say in the video, we are starting a new series this morning called The Great Life. And I want to begin with an admission. I don't like to talk about money. But Jesus had no trouble with it. Taxes, tithing, temple offerings, greed, generosity, counting the cost, giving it all away. He taught about or referred to money in his teaching more than any other subject other than the kingdom of God. So I'm not so sure Jesus is impressed by or even in favor of my reluctance to go there. Uh, So where does my trouble come from? Well, it's not so much my theology, but my sensitivity to how you may feel about it. I hear no shortage of horror stories of how pastors and churches have done wrong by you and others across your faith journeys as I get to know you. And I think of TV preachers asking for donations in manipulative and smarmy ways, right? And I don't want to stir us up in any of those ways or bring any of that to mind as we touch on this important subject in this really loving sacred space that we've all curated here together. So sometimes people feel weird talking about money in church, and sometimes I do, but we shouldn't. In fact, we need to talk about it, and here's why. The scriptures bring a lot of very necessary truth and some really bold realities and new perspectives about our finances that we are wise to learn and discuss. Otherwise, we'll miss them. If we don't feel good and safe and ready to talk about such things in this space, we'll miss that truth. And when I, as your pastor, won't talk about money, we can find ourselves jumping on TikTok or Instagram to learn about making loads of passive income or putting everything into crypto or just getting sucked into get-rich-quick schemes that leave us broke or talked into a line of credit that's going to spiral out of control. We could end up getting discipled on our finances by social media or self-help books and not hear by the words of Jesus. And that just doesn't seem right. And like I said, Jesus has good words to share on this subject. So maybe talking about money is one of the most spiritual and pastoral things I can do. And so I will. And I want to begin with these powerful, insightful words of Jesus Himself. First, in Luke 16, Jesus teaches that no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, he says, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And in Matthew 6, he says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroyed, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray together. Lord, we give this time to you as we have uh, your word open before us. We ask that our hearts would be open as well. Lord, we ask that you would use this time to be our teacher. You've got good things to say here. Lord, help us to listen to what it is you have to share with us. We believe it's important because you have made it clear to us that this is something that is true and going on 
in each of us. And so, Lord, help us to to pay attention to it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jesus says so much here. Money, he says, has a unique power to guide our hearts and exert control over our lives. When it comes to God and money, as he puts it, or where your treasure is, uh, we disciples have decisions to make. We choose to reject the allure of the earthly and commit to investing in eternity. In these passages, we see two principles emerge, ones Jesus understood perfectly. And I kind of refer to them like this. First, he talks about the God-money competition. As we, and then he also talks about the heart treasure connection. And these affect every single one of us. Whether we're a student just uh, starting out and getting our first jobs and getting our first paychecks, or whether we're dealing with our retirement accounts, how we deal with our money and how our money deals with us is something that affects every single one of us. It was true when Jesus said it, and it's true now. So let's first start by talking about the God-money competition. As we just heard Jesus say, no one can serve two masters. That's just true. And then he says, you cannot serve both God and, and it's interesting to think, what will he put in that blank? What will be the next word? You cannot serve both God and, because whatever he puts there must be from his estimation, which we have to, as a front row seat, as as a member of the Godhead himself, he knows what he's talking about. Who or what is the number one rival in the human heart to try to elbow God off his rightful throne of my life. What is he going to put in that blank? And what he puts might surprise us. The word is money. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. He identifies money as God's chief competitor for our hearts and minds and energies. Jesus points out the competition God has with money in and for my human heart, my soul, my attention, my affection. It's too easy for any of us to find ourselves serving the second money and at the expense of the first, God. And why is that? Well, because sadly, money can seem like a pretty decent substitute for God. Outside of God is the primary resource we humans look to for what we most crave. Think about it like this. Many of our basic needs belonging, significance, security, provision, should be fulfilled spiritually through God first. But they can be mostly satisfied financially through money. Feeling insignificant, riches provide prestige. Feeling insecure, wealth promises confidence. When we're dissatisfied, money proposes gratification, at least for a moment. And in all that, there's a trap. Jesus is not naive on this subject. He knows the human heart can be captured by money, how our lives can be thrown out of balance by it. And he knows that money is the number one rival to God for our attention and our affection. And so, if this is true, and we're hearing Jesus say this, we ought to stop and examine ourselves in this regard. Take a a bit of a self-assessment and call for the question, am I serving the almighty dollar or almighty God? So here are some ways we can tell a few questions this morning. First question, on which do I base most of my decisions? When facing a decision, is the first lens I use to examine that decision the financial impact, the profit or loss 
of the choice. I'm not saying such things are irrelevant, far from it. Only that when they become of first importance, when they're the first lens we use to decide uh, whatever it is we need to decide, when they're the first thing, we can begin seeing that money is coming close to being our God. What is setting, uh, uh, helping me make my decisions? Look around at our stuff and ask, who owns whom? Who serves whom, right? Whether we have a lot or a little, we all can become possessed by our possessions. We're called instead and entrusted to be stewards of our resources as God has given them to us. Too often, we're not over them. They are over us. Another question. Which do I allow to define me and others? Almost nothing reveals our priorities more clearly than the way we approach money. It really tells us what's important to us. Money is the way we assign value to reality. Think about it like this. In our culture, we can actually feel shame for not making a lot of money or the amount of money we think we should or could. We give money that power in our society. So we can ask ourselves, so is my sense of self-worth tied to my net worth? Do I subtly see others the same way? See, one of the beauties of the good news of Jesus is that God gets to tell us who we really are, right? Who, what our identity is, what's true about us. And all those beautiful things he wants to say about us have nothing to do with our bank balance, amen? And yet we cannot, that can be hard for us to digest because we've got another whole set of messages that tell us that the, a really truly good life is a rich life in terms of finances, that, that it's all about whether, about your income level and, and uh, where you stand in comparison to others. And that is simply a set of lies. Whichever we let tell us who we are, that becomes our God. Our God is the one who tells us who we are. Here's another question. For which will I most readily make sacrifices? Now, this can be a convicting one, I admit. And this is a lot to take in first thing in the morning. So thanks for hanging with me. But let's ask ourselves, how much will I neglect my family in order to hit that sales goal or get that overtime pay? How hard will I grind for my business Yet how hard is it for me to volunteer and serve in ways that I know make a difference in the world and in me? Of course I'll sacrifice for that, bon uh, for that bonus from my boss, but I'll need to really think about it before I sacrifice for God, whatever that may look like for each of us. Like I said, that is a really convicting one. Next question is, which of these sets my goals and direction? Is the primary aim of my life set by what will increase my income or what will fuel my faith? And lastly, and this is a big one, on, what, on which have I built my contentment? Like I mentioned earlier, it's easy to base so much on, uh, on the money we have in the bank, right? When our balance seems hefty, contentment comes easily. When not, well, forget it, right? We literally end up banking on our contentment, our peace of we banking our contentment, our peace of mind on our bank balance, on our wealth, and whether or not we have what we think is enough, or more than enough, or not enough. And apart from Christ, let's just let's just call it for what it is. Apart from the truth that Christ gives us to us in our society, and maybe even to us on any given day of the week, this seems like a 
pretty self-evident truth. Of course my emotional stability is based on my financial stability, right? Of course I'm stressed and, and feel bad about myself and, and, I'm, and, and I'm all over the place when uh, my finances are not where I want them to be. It just seems like a self-evident truth, but could it be that there's a deeper truth, a better way to approach life in which we get uh, untied from the ups and downs of whatever market or whatever thing is going on financially in our lives, and we realize that not only our identity, but our contentment, where we find our peace, how we navigate each day, and the, the level that we bring to that day does not have to be tied to the ups and downs of any of that other stuff. In our humanness, we have an instinct to assign permanence to things or circumstances which are, in fact, terribly temporary, right? It's true of all of us. So we need reminded of what's earthly and what's eternal. We'll be covering how to cultivate contentment later in this series. The Apostle Paul instructs in a couple of his letters a young pastor named Timothy. Uh, and one of the things he instructs him to do is to not shy away from talking about money with his congregation. He says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. The snare of worldly wealth and its seeming promise of security, a basic human need, is very real. So it's no wonder that we are tempted to put our hope there. But Paul sees this. Paul calls it out. When we have uh, wealth around us, the temptation is to begin to lean on it, to put our contentment there, to put our hope there. He says, don't do it, because that's what you do. The thing you hope in, that's your God too. This is the God money competition. That's why he so clearly says, but no, instead, put your hope in God. This gets to the crux of this whole idea of the God money competition. Paul warns Timothy as well that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Nothing good comes from that. And in fact, lots of bad flows from when we love money. And Jesus seems to know money is easy to love. So we have to guard against this. Paul continues, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So you can see the two masters dynamic that Jesus lays out here has been is being picked up by Paul and as he's instructing Timothy to pastor his people in this very reality. Don't wander from the faith. Don't chase money. This seems to be an undeniable dynamic. Put your hope in wealth and you forget to hope in God. The message of Jesus, though, is clear. God is the only rightful Lord of our lives, but money wants to take that title. And often, even and especially without our realizing it, we let that happen, or we can. And the surest way to set that right can be summed up in one word, generosity, giving money away freely and happily. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. So that's a brief look at what you would call the God money competition as Jesus lays it out there. You can't serve two masters. But now let's talk about the heart treasure connection. Because the second passage that we hear from Jesus says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus describes the connection between our treasure, what we count as our vital resources, our valuable riches, and our hearts, what stirs our passion and orders our 
priorities. And as he puts it, the key lies in where we choose to store up our treasure, where we invest our lives, on earth or, as he puts it, in heaven. In other words, in, toward God or only toward our, ourselves. Money has a unique ability to not only reflect our hearts, but direct our hearts. And so Jesus calls us to gladly trade the earthly for the eternal. So, as if the first one wasn't enough, I got another self-assessment for us here. When it comes to the, God, uh, the heart treasure connection. So a few questions here. First one is this. What do my spending choices tell me about my spiritual priorities? It's tempting to disconnect the financial from the spiritual. This has nothing to do with that. But Jesus knows better, and he really won't, won't let us get away with it in these passages that he's laying out here. Because we will, it's a fact, naturally think, pray, and care about what we're invested in. So we must put our money where we want our heart to be, because our heart will follow no matter what. So the direction that we want our heart to go in can be definitely guided by the, our financial investments. Next question, do I feel free to give or bound to keep? Our instinct to hoard or at least keep for ourselves can be quite strong, especially when, when, if we have a, what some people like to call a scarcity mentality, a, a, a sense that times are tight and I better take care of number one, who, by the way, is me, right? Like we said, money promises security, but with our clenched fists, we also end up leaving ourselves closed to receive. When we realize we are free to be open-handed and giving, then we can most fully enjoy all God has blessed us with. It's a posture of our hearts, our souls. We'll talk more about how to lean into and trust in God's care and provision in a couple of weeks. Next question. Are my financial decisions directing my life, my thinking, my feeling, Toward the eternal or toward the earthly? Am I being wise with the wealth that I've been given? Is there something I need to learn or decide to do differently? Are my choices leaving me wrapped in worry and so consumed that I have little left for my faith, my family? We'll talk in the weeks ahead about the wisdom of living with margin so we can better live on mission. Last question, am I investing in what's worth my devotion? If this is true, if this heart-treasure connection is real, and we believe it is, and we believe Jesus knows what he's talking about, then am I using my treasure for what's worth my heart? Or am I underselling myself by investing my treasure in things that are far less than eternal and don't take my heart in any directions worthwhile. Our investments, whatever they are, are commitments to whatever is important to us. We invest in what we care about and we care about what we invest in. So when our care and attention is tied only to earthly pursuits, only is a key word there, only to earthly pursuits and earthly results, we end up ignoring eternity because our heart doesn't get a chance to to, to escape that gravitational pull. Our faith is weakened by neglect. Back to uh, Paul's advice to Timothy. He advised Timothy to command those with resources to be generous and willing to share. Paul understood and knew that generosity is what directs our hearts toward God, makes us more like him, opens our hearts as his is open, and feeds 
our faith. We will find that this is always the key. That being open-handed and generous is the way to what we're ta- uh, the way to a healthy version of these things that we're talking about here. And then Paul adds this assurance. So be generous and willing to share, he says. And then he echoes those words of Jesus that we just heard. In this way, he says, they will do what? Lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. Meaning they're investing in what is eternal so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So both Paul and Jesus are describing the connection that exists between our treasure, our resources and our riches, and our life and heart, our priorities and passions. And so they're both really begging the question here, where are we choosing to store up our treasure, invest our lives, and orient our hearts on the earthly or in the heavenly? It's a great question to ask. It's the heart-treasure connection. So what is all this teaching us here? It's a lot to take in, I know. It's teaching me, at least, and maybe you're picking up on it too. Our material wealth has a lot of spiritual power, has a lot of spiritual significance, that there really is a God-money competition. It's both ancient, it's been around a long time, and it's relevant, it's true today. It goes on in each of us, even now. And that there is a true and real heart-treasure connection in each of us, too. That where we invest and how we give our finances actually forms our character and fosters our thoughts and cares and sets the direction of our souls. This isn't just kind of some pie-in-the-sky spiritual platitude. It's an actual description of the way the human soul works. And as we've seen and will continue to see, That setting the sights of our souls toward generosity, command them to be generous and willing to share, Paul said to Timothy. Setting the sights of our souls toward generosity is the single clearest and most potent thing we can do to be healthy and strong in both of these dynamics. We're going to see it again and again throughout the scriptures. And to boil that down even further, to get super practical... Tamara and I have found over our years as Jesus followers that nothing breaks the back of money's power over us and directs our hearts toward what God's heart loves more than this one practice. Nothing, Nothing deals with the competition. Nothing fosters the connection more than this one single practice. Intentional, committed, prayerful, joyful percentage giving. This one decision, prayerfully discerning a percentage of our income to steadily and faithfully give to God and his church, that one decision sets in motion a whole series of other good decisions, perspectives, healthy attitudes, and positive directions. It settles the God-money competition. It sets right the heart-treasure connection. We hear a lot in this world about the good life and what it looks like, how much stuff we can have. But it's generosity, what we give, that makes a great life. That's what we'll be looking at in the weeks ahead. We'll do a deep dive into this subject. We're going to look at the stewardship that we each have been assigned to all we've been given, the ability to trust God's supply and care 
the need to guard against greed and consumerism, how to cultivate contentment and simplicity, how to be motivated by compassion and mission as we grow rich in gratitude. We're going to look at all of these beautiful truths taken from the scriptures as we tackle this subject that Jesus says is worth our attention. And we're going to see throughout them all that generosity is the key that unlocks them, each of them. It's the golden thread running through them all. It's the joy and the blessing found in them all. To be people who are natural, happy givers is the best thing, the most Jesus-like thing we can be. And we remember that each week in the bread and the cup. We end our sermons almost every Sunday uh, with this, we take communion every Sunday, and we often end our sermons with this chance to take the truth that's just landed on us and bring it to the Lord as we do what He asked us to do and remember Him in the bread and in the cup. And so, as you take the bread in your hands this morning, let's just pause to also let those words that Paul said to Timothy ring in our minds. That when we're generous and willing to share, when we're laying up treasure, so to speak, where uh, Jesus calls us to, we are taking hold of life that is truly life. There are a lot of fake, hollow, counterfeit versions of what the good life is meant to be that we can pick up on if we're you know, paying any attention at all to our culture. But none of them give us what we really need. They're not the life that is truly life. And every week when we pause and thank Jesus for what he's done for us on the cross, when we relish in the power of his resurrection, when we receive again the grace that he promises us, we are taking hold in the bread and in the cup of life that is truly life. Let's do that and eat together. And as we take the cup, we remember those words that God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. He's given us everything. The life in our lungs, the breath in our lungs, the life in our bodies, and the eternal life of our souls. So that's worth our heartfelt thanks. Let's drink together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the truth that we've gotten to hear today. As each of us consider our financial lives, all the things about us that have to do with our money and our stuff and our wealth and our riches and our, all the feelings around it, whether those are feelings of pride and confidence or whether those are feelings of insecurity and fear, Lord, we just give them all to you. We just put them all in a pile and say, take it, it's yours. Help us, Lord, instead to put all our faith and all our hope and all our confidence in you, the one who tells us who we really are, the one who loves us no matter what. We're happy that that's true. And we thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us. You walk with us. Uh, we can hope in you because you're reliable. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.